the word Father Larry mentioned in John 15, Jesus told us, apart from you, we can do nothing, nothing. Lord, we can't teach to engender life. We can't hear to take in life. Lord, it's your spirit uh, that brings the word and the reality of Christ into our souls, into our spirits. And we ask that you do that this morning as we look at this section of your word. We depend on you in Jesus name. Amen. Guys, it's the beginning of the year still, first month of the new year, and many of you have started new Bible reading programs, um, which is great, by the way. Read your Bible. It's a good refrain. We say it a lot, and it's shorthand for, for basically meet with the Lord in the Scripture. It's easy if you've got a Bible reading list to make it a checkbox where you say, I've done it, I read the text for the day, and I go on, and that's not what we want to do. So, we understand that we come to the scriptures ultimately to meet God. And we meet God ultimately through the relationship we have with Jesus. So we want to remind ourselves that as we're reading in the word, that we're really going there to meet God. It's not about facts and information. It's not ultimately about some particular doctrine. It's really about our relationship with God the Father through faith in Jesus the Son. And that's engendered in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're reading our Bibles. And as we do so, we're intentionally trying to connect to engender that relationship more fully with God himself through Christ. When we read the Bible, there's all kinds of literature, but at the end of the day, it's a relationship we're aiming for. So we're in a series, and I'll mention this again in just a minute, but we're in a series in which we're highlighting people who displayed faithfulness. And it would be hard to find a character in the Bible that point by point and also just in the big theme of faithfulness points to Christ more fully than Joseph does in the Old Testament. And we'll, we'll close out, I'll go through a short hit list, in fact it's on the back of your study sheet, in which you'll see it's no accident that we read the life of Joseph and end up seeing the work and the person of Christ. It's very intentional and that's what we'll see this morning. We're in week 14 already of the Heroes and Villains series. And if you remember, or you don't, uh, heroes, heroism for Christians is to be heroic in faith like Jesus was. He's the superhero. We emulate him. Villainy in this series, to be a villain in God's economy is to reject faith or faithfulness to our maker. And I'm starting with this reminder again, and maybe I don't need to say it, uh, but I'll say it anyway. You and I, in our carnal selves, we tend to be religious, not relational. And so often what we try and do is we try and be a better person. We try and observe more rules. Man inherently is religious, but that's not what we're talking about. So when we are talking about faithfulness, we're not talking about old sinners being better. Do you guys remember what God did with your old sinful nature? If you're a believer... This is true of you, Romans 6, that God, God loved you so much He crucified you with Christ. That's what Romans 6 says. What did He do with our old sinful disposition? He didn't pamper it. He didn't make it better. He crucified it. So what we're talking about when we talk about emulating Christ's kind of faithfulness in characters like Joseph in the Bible, we're really saying this. We're supposed to put to death the old and we're supposed to live out of the new Christ life that we have. If you've trusted Christ for salvation, if you've experienced new birth, the Holy Spirit has brought about the life of Christ in you. 
And so when we're talking about faithfulness, we're talking about, in fact, choosing by God's grace and the power of His Spirit and the truth of His Word to say no to who and what we were and yes to the life of Christ within us. And guess what you find? Christ is inherently faithful to the Father. And when I emulate Christ, when the life of Christ within me is free to be expressed, guess what I am? I'm faithful. So don't mistake the series generally or broadly or any particular message to be some kind of uh, attempt to live bigger, to be a better person. What we want to do is say no to the old, old sinful self, and yes to the life of Christ within us. When we do that, guess what we find? We're faithful, like Jesus, because His life is being expressed in us. Okay. So we're going to be in the life of Joseph. If you've got your Bibles, Genesis 37 is where we will start. We've already looked at Abraham, the father of faith, and you remember all the promises uh, that God gave Abraham. And by the way, those are not just seen in the chapters of Genesis, but those promises God gave Abraham are still being fulfilled today. If you're a believer today, Galatians says that you are the seed of Abraham, that you're a, you're a result of God's promise to Abraham that he would have children, not just physical descendants, but spiritual children. That promise still being fulfilled today. We looked at the life of his son Isaac. You remember very poignantly one of the clearest pictures in all the Old Testament of God the Father and God the Son cooperating in our salvation. Abraham and Isaac marching up the mountains of Moriah where Isaac was figuratively laid in death by his father, prefiguring God the Father, God the Son, cooperating in Jesus' death on the same mountains of Moriah for your salvation and mine. Looked at the life of Jacob. Remember Jacob whose name meant usurper, trickster, deceiver, liar. That's what he was. That's who he was. And he goes out of the land of promises and he sees God high and lifted up. You remember at a place he called Bethel, the house of God. But you remember 20 years later when he comes back into the land of promise, he has a very different kind of encounter with God. And he calls that place Peniel because God there met him not high and lifted up and distant, but face to face. And Jacob the usurper, the liar and deceiver gets a new name, Israel. He becomes the prince of God. This morning, we're looking at Joseph. And he is Jacob's 11th son. We've got some families that big in here, don't we? He's Jacob's 11th son. And the text says, Genesis 37.3, it says that Joseph uniquely enjoyed the favor of Jacob, excuse me, did I get this right? Joseph uniquely enjoys the favor of Jacob because it says he was the son of his old age. But he's also the first son of Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife. Now you guys know one of the things you see in these stories of families, these are the families that led to the Messiah, is they're dysfunctional, aren't they? Every one of them is dysfunctional. It didn't start with your family, didn't start with mine, goes all the way back, they're dysfunctional. And so, Jacob's unwise, isn't he, in the degree to which he expresses favor for Joseph. Why? What do his other brothers feel about that? It engenders hatred and jealousy and envy. That's exactly what you see going on. And, but what you'll see is this. So we're, we'll start with him young and we'll go through sort of almost to the end of his life. But what you'll see is this. Every situation that you find in the life of, of Joseph, he's faithful. There's not one in which he's not. There's not one negative word spoken about Joseph. This is only true to my knowledge of two people in all the Bible. Joseph's one and Daniel is the other. 
guys that you see in any degree or for any length of time, usually you see their, their uh, heels, their Achilles heel, their clay feet, if you will, but that's not true of Joseph. Genesis 37.2 is where we're starting. Joseph, it says, is 17 years old and he's pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Billah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now, oftentimes when this is read, it's assumed that Joseph is a tattletale here. <clears throat> and it sounds negative about him, and I don't think that's at all the way we're meant to read this. It'd be unusual if we were. I think what we see here is two things. The first is, it's another point, it's another foreshadowing that there's friction between Joe and his brothers, for sure. But the other thing is this, it's that Joseph cares about his father and his father's things. I don't think we're meant to see him as a tattletale, as a negative. I think we're meant to, for us to see that he's saying to dad, dad, this thing is not being done right. You guys are not doing right. You're not honoring the father. You're not doing right by Jacob, by our dad. I think that's what we're supposed to get. Genesis 37, 12, just a few verses later, it says, his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And remember, they got a lot of sheep <clears throat> and they're spread out over a dry, hilly country. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? This would be north in the central hill country. It's, it's miles from where Jacob is. Now listen to this. He says, come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, here am I, here I am. So he said to him, go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. Now, I, I can't pass this up. This actually doesn't have a lot to do in some ways with the lesson, but I can't pass it up. Look at the phrase in verse 13. Dad says, I will send you to them. And Joseph says, here I am. Now, in the Hebrew, it's hine. And it just means behold. Dad says, I need a messenger. And Joseph says, it's me. Here I am. Here I am is as good as saying, I'm your man. I'll do what you need done. Now, does this ring any bells for anybody else in here? Somebody needs to be sent, and somebody says, He nay, behold, here I am, send me. And of course, if you go to Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah's commission, it's exactly the same setting. Isaiah sees God high and holy and lofty in heaven, and in the courts of heaven, he feels unclean. God cleanses him, and he hears this conversation in heaven. And God says, whom shall we send? And what's Isaiah say? He says, he nay, <laughs> behold, I'm your man. The, the prince of prophets starts by saying the same thing Joseph says here. And it doesn't stop there, by the way. We'll close later from Psalm 40. Psalm 40 is quoted in Hebrews 10. Guess what Jesus says in Psalm 40? He nay, behold, I come to do your will, O God. In the scroll of the book, it's written of me. I'm here to do your will. What do you want? I'm your man. That's what Joseph says. And in the big confines of Scripture, what you see is Joseph and Isaiah and Jesus are all alike. When God says, I need a messenger, they say, here I am. Send me. He nay. I love it. So Joseph, we know, is not only uniquely loved by his father, but he's ready to do whatever his father wants. Absolutely stellar. Now, his life quickly changes. I mean, in really short order. So between Jacob showering Joseph with this affection and the coat of many colors, we're, we're leaving all kinds of elements of the story out because we just got to get to the highlights here. Uh, and also the fact that Joe had some crazy dreams that he relayed to his brothers. 
And in the dreams, his brothers and his parents bow down before him. This didn't help things at all, did it? So envy, bitterness, jealousy, hatred, it's all building on itself. And Joe, in a single day, is going to go. And, and you really, we've we got to put ourselves somehow in this frame of reference. He's the beloved son of his father. He's ready to do whatever his father says. Life is good. And in a moment, his life is turned upside down. And his brothers have him alone in the wilderness and they're like, we're just going to kill him. We'll just tell dad, well, sorry, your son was killed. And then some, a caravan comes along and they say, oh, we got a better idea. We'll sell him. We'll sell him as a slave. And that's exactly what they do. In one day, he didn't know it. He woke up and his life was forever changed. Now, in my mind, trying to come to grips with this, you know, we talk about human trafficking today, right? And, and for most of us, that engenders some kind of image in our mind. You know, so the gal goes to the modeling agency and she's kidnapped and she's sold and she's in a foreign country. That's what happened to Joseph. He's trafficked as human chattel. And all he knows was, I woke up this morning, life was good. And at the end of the day, I'm bound and I'm tied and I'm part of somebody's caravan headed down to another country. We got to get ourselves in that frame of reference to really appreciate what's going on with Joe. So he goes down, and as you probably know, he has sold into the household of Potiphar. This guy's a wealthy guy. He's a captain in Pharaoh's army down in Egypt. Now, how's he going to respond? What will he do? What would you do? What would I do? So life was good, and suddenly I'm a slave? Some guy's house? I may not even speak the same language. What's with that? What's he going to do? Just as he's been faithful in his father's household, he brings the same faithfulness to his role as a slave. Guys, this is remarkable. He's a slave. And he was the cherished son. And what's he do? Well, he just gets to work for his new master. And he works diligently and he's faithful and God gives him favor. And what's going to happen to him? He's simply going to rise up. Listen to this. He is so faithful, and God gives him such favor. This is Genesis 39, verse 6. Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Does that sound crazy? In the morning, you might say to Joe, I'll take lamb and lentils for supper. You take care of everything else. <clears throat> How do you and I respond when we are betrayed? This could be little or big things, right? But somehow you get up on a day and suddenly the bottom falls out. How do you and I tend to respond? Because that's what happened to him. He's in a new set of circumstances he would never have asked for. And what do you find? Well, he's simply faithfully serving this new guy. There's no recrimination here. There's no downside spoken of at all. He simply gets to work. And he serves. And God puts his favor on that service. And Joe goes... From a lowly slave in the household, what does he become? He becomes the chief steward of the household. This would have been a this would have been significant back in the day. This guy was wealthy. You were either really poor or really wealthy. You know, I'm missing a slide, guys. Just FYI, that's interesting. Um, life's upside down. What's he do? He just gets on with the work at hand. He just keeps exercising faithfulness. Now. He's gone from the lowly slave and we don't know how long, but now he's the chief steward of the household. So you can imagine for somebody in that day and age, that's a pretty good place. 
he's honored. The other servants give account to him. Life would be good. How long is that going to last? Probably not very long. So favored son, sold as a slave, rises up, chief steward. What's going to happen now? Most, most of you know Joseph's story. He's been faithful to Potiphar in all of his duties. But Mrs. Potiphar is after him. And she wants that young, handsome Hebrew boy. And you know, for many guys, this would be a temptation too good to resist. What's he going to do? So remember, she's powerful also. She's the mistress of the house. And she keeps chasing him. And he keeps saying no. And where's this going to end? And listen to what he says to her advances. This is Genesis 39, starting at verse 8. So she approaches him again. He refused, and he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He's put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am. I have as much authority as Potiphar. I'm not the owner, but I have as much authority as the owner does. I act in his name with his authority in everything except one thing. Except you, Mrs. Potiphar, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joe's faithfulness here is just sparkling. And notice what he says. This is twofold. It's not singular. On one hand, he says, my master trusts me to be faithful. How could I be faithless to my master? On the human horizontal plane, he says, I can't be faithless to this person who's trusted me with all of his stuff. I got to be faithful. And then he also says vertically, I can't be faithless to God. It would be wickedness to do what you're saying, a sin against God. So Joe says, I can't do it. Can't be faithless to my master. I can't be faithless to God. Well, as you know, things don't go well for him from there at all because Potiphar comes home and Mrs. Potiphar lies. She makes a false accusation. She slanders Joe and she tells Potiphar, Mr. Potiphar, uh, this guy that you brought in, man, he tried to have me and you need to know about it. And of course, Potiphar believes his wife and he's enraged. And so, favored son, slave, household, the servant of all the household. And where's he going now? He's going down into prison. He's a criminal and he's thrown into the king's prison. He's at the bottom of the social heap. There's no, there's no lower rung for him to descend to. What will he do? What would you do? What would I do? Guess what? Can you imagine where this is going? Joe's faithful again. Uh, listen to the text in Genesis 39, starting at verse 21. And by the way, I want to mention uh, the life of Joseph is unique because he was, a, he was a key part of God's plan in a way that may not be true for your life and mine. I want to be careful about this. Sometimes biblical people are highlighted as if the success they were given is going to be given to you and I. Similarly, that's not always the case. The thing we want to highlight here is Joseph's faithfulness, the, the measure and the kind of success, the breadth and depth of success God gave him was because he had a mission for Joseph that was unique. So as we live faithfulness, we do so because that's the Christ life within us, not because we think life's going to be better afterwards than it was before. It may not be. Uh, there's, you know, martyrs are being made today, Christian martyrs around the world, 
of people being faithful to Jesus' name, it doesn't mean that they're set up in positions of honor, okay? So we're not saying that. But listen to this from his prison account. Genesis 39, 21. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one that did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Now understand, Joe's in prison, but he's not sulking. He's not in a corner refusing to eat or work or whatever. Whatever labor there was to be done in the prison, Joe's a part of it. And God gives success to everything Joe touches, everything he does. And so he's down at the lowest rung possible. And what happens again? God gives him favor and he brings him up and he is at the right hand of the warden. He is second only to the warden of the prison in authority. He's running the show again. Before we get to the happier part of Joe's life, which is where we're going, think about the points, just point by point to put this in our frame of reference. Sometime around 17 years old, he sold as a slave because we want to add up the years. This wasn't a little thing or a little time. After serving in Potiphar's house for some time, don't know how long, he's sent to prison. We know he's in prison two years or more because the text tells us. He serves in prison some extended period of time. What this adds up to is for around 13 years, Joseph has been a slave and a prisoner, and in all that time, Scripture records only faithfulness. So he's betrayed, and he's falsely accused, and life goes from good to bad, and it doesn't matter how many years have gone by, it doesn't matter what the situation is, in every situation he's in, in every point of suffering, all you see is faithfulness. Faithfulness in happy times. And by the way, I hope we all have lots of good, happy times when faithfulness seems easy. It just seems like, of course, the only thing to do. But God often orchestrates, causes or allows suffering in your life and mine. And of course, suffering often in Scripture compared to fire. Fire tests the quality of who and what we are, doesn't it? And it brings out what's true of us. And if life's easy, you might think Mike's a great guy. And if life goes south, you might say, Mike's not such a nice guy. Right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to bring out what's true of me. Times of suffering. And so we want to make sure <laughs> when we face times of suffering, that's when faithfulness counts the most, isn't it? That's when we remind ourselves, Lord, I can't do this. I can't honor you properly in my own strength. But Christ's life in me can. Would you help the life of Christ loom large in me in this time of suffering when I know I'm otherwise going to blow it. I'm not going to get there. I'm not going to be able to honor you. I won't be faithfulness. One of the fruits of suffering is to reveal what we are. And Joseph's faithfulness is the singular thing that comes up every time he's tried. Faithfulness is always a good thing, but the faithfulness you and I offer God, and I should say also, I want to make sure this isn't just vertical, it's horizontal also. The faithfulness you and I offer others, when it's costly, that's the most valuable demonstration of faithfulness we can have. So, the life of Christ in us, especially in times of suffering, is faithful. And that's what we want to emulate. Now, if I say that, and we somehow get any kind of notion that faithfulness is easy, or that life falls out and we're Stoics and we just say, oh, praise the Lord, 
Do you know anybody like that? Oh, praise the Lord. It's like, you're not praising the Lord, and I know it. And I wouldn't be either. Is it okay? We're not talking about stoicism. So Jesus' kind of faithfulness, did Jesus ever question God the Father? Absolutely, right? On the cross. The greatest point of suffering, right? What does he say? Sorry. What does he say? He says, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Is it okay if you and I ask God why? <laughs> Absolutely. If Jesus did, you and I can't. That doesn't mean we're faithless. Jesus says, God, why? We're not stoics. And if the bottom falls out and you're feeling the emotional and spiritual pain or the physical pain, it's okay to say to God, God, why this? Why now? Why not that? Why not later? That's okay. That's exactly what Jesus did in his point of suffering. Is it, is it okay to ask God to change what's going on? Yeah, because Jesus did, right? In his prayer in the garden, he says, man, Lord, you know, this thing you're doing, I'd really rather an option here. I'd really rather not drink the cup that's poured out, the cup of suffering that you've poured for me. Might there be another way? Could we talk about this, Lord? But at the end of that prayerful conversation, what does Jesus say? He says, but not my will, but yours be done. See, it's not, it's not that we don't tell God how we're feeling. It's not that we don't ask him why. It's not that we don't say, man, we wish things were otherwise. Doesn't mean any of those things. Because you don't see that in Jesus, and he is absolutely faithful. And you know, the thing I love most, too, at the end of the day, you think of Jesus on the cross and what real faithfulness in the midst of suffering looks like. Jews and Gentiles have done their absolute worst to Jesus. He's been lied about. He's been slandered. He's been beaten. He's been mocked. He's been scourged. Man has done their worst. And God has forsaken him on the cross, right? As he becomes sin for us. Why have you forsaken me, God? Because Jesus is now sin. Your sin and mine. But when that suffering is over, what does he say? Last words from the cross. Into your hand I commit my spirit. What does that mean? I trust you. I know you'll do right by me. I can afford to be faithful because I trust you. And guys, when we're in the midst of suffering, whatever it is, big or little, we can say with the faithfulness that is Christ in us, God, I trust you. You're faithful, I trust you. I entrust myself to you, just like Jesus did. So, so we don't want to mistake faithfulness here for some version of stoicism that is simply not real it's not what you see in the life of joseph or in the life of jesus philippians 2 8 is on your study sheet well joseph was not only faithful to god in his suffering but then when he's elevated he's still faithful you know sometimes we, we often think suffering is the most challenging time but you know what you may also find in your life or in the lives of those around you that it's not suffering that's your greatest challenge and temptation it's success. It's not dishonor. It's what do you do when you are honored. It's not when you've been abased. It's what do you do with the adulation or the respect or the favor of others when you've been elevated. That's its own temptation. And Joseph rises to the occasion here too. So he's in prison. And you remember his life changed in a given day. He was a son. Now he's a slave one day. And he's the chief steward. And on a given day, he's a criminal. 
And now he's a criminal in prison, though he's running the place. And one day, somebody shows up and says, Joseph, clean up, get dressed. You're going into Pharaoh's room. You're going into the courtroom of the king, the most powerful man on earth in that day. That's interesting. So they clean him up. They take him in there. And Pharaoh says, hey, I've got a challenge. Something's happened. And I've heard you're the guy that can tell me about it. Now, listen to this. This is Genesis 41, uh, starting at verse 15. And you've got to see the pointedness of the conversation. Pharaoh says to Joe, Joe comes in. Pharaoh's there. Pharaoh says to Joe, I've had a dream. There's no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh and listen to his response. So Pharaoh says, it's all about you. You're the man. You, you, you. And Joe says, it's not me. It's God. It's not me. It's God who will give Pharaoh an answer. So Pharaoh relays a dream, a crazy dream. He says, Joe, this is what I was dreaming, and this is what I saw. I saw seven fat cows, and they got eaten up by seven skinny cows. And then I saw seven big fat corn or grain heads of some kind, and they got eaten up by seven skinny ones, blighted ones. Man, I have no idea. And Joe says, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. God has shown, that's verse 25, verse 28. God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. And then verses 33 through 36 let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let them gather all the food of the good years that the food shall be in reserve for the years of famine. So when given the opportunity to boast in himself or make much of himself, what's Joe do? He says, no, Pharaoh, it's not me, it's God. And God didn't talk to me, he talked to you. The glory that Pharaoh would give him, he diverts to God. He said, it's not me, it's God. And instead of highlighting what God was doing through Joseph, Joseph says, Pharaoh, this is for you. I'm just a messenger. I'm just telling you what God's already made clear to you. You got seven years of prosperity coming and you're going to get seven years of blight. But Joe, he, he diverts the praise and he diverts the praise in both directions. It's not about me. It's about God. And it's not a message to me. It's a message to you. So when he's given the opportunity to make much of himself, he's lifted up in honor. He doesn't. He's faithful to God. He's faithful to Pharaoh, but he's also faithful. Imagine this to all the people of Egypt and all the surrounding countries that are going to get the benefit of the wisdom Joseph recommended to Pharaoh. Now, remember, when he makes this recommendation, he doesn't know that Pharaoh will pick him. He's just a guy from prison. And when he had interpreted the dreams for the baker and the wine steward, nothing happened. He still sat there for years. He doesn't know that Pharaoh's going to choose him. He is being faithful, faithful to God, faithful to Pharaoh, and faithful to those around him. Now, about two years go by into the famine. So from this story of the dreams, nine years has gone by. And nine years later, when two years of the famine have started, Joseph sees his brothers come down to buy grain. And he recognizes them. Now remember, this is 20 to 22 years after they sold him. He's a non-issue for the brothers. And he looks different, and he looks like an Egyptian. So he sees them. He knows these are my brothers. These are big brothers right here. But they don't know him. And he has this prolonged ruse 
that enables him to continue to interact with his brothers to find out what kind of men they've become and to find out what's going on with his father who he really loves and he'd love to see. And so the story goes back and forth a little bit. They buy some grain, they go home, they eventually have to come back down, take a brother prisoner, captive, held him for a while. At a certain point, Joseph can't hold it in anymore because he loves his brothers. And he simply busts out and he says, it's me, it's Joseph. Tells all the servants to get away, just me and my brothers. He says, guys, it's me. Now, this would be hard to imagine. They haven't seen him in 22 years. He doesn't look the same. They're just interacting with this harsh guy who's been selling them some grain, but threatening them also. So imagine this, that the clouds are clearing here. The first thing is this guy says my brother's name and says he's my brother. No way. What's that? But then he says, come close and see. It's me. They hear his voice. That sounds like Joe. I see his eyes, whatever. They get it. So absolute confusion but then, what do you think might come up into their minds? Haven't seen him in 22 years. And the last time we saw him, we sold him as a slave. And he's the most powerful man in Egypt, save the king. And I wonder what he might do with us now. That's exactly what's going on, isn't it? And that's, in fact, what the text says. What will Joseph do? What would you do? What would I do? It's Genesis 45, verses 5 through 8. What's he say? Because they're distressed. He says, don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Now, he doesn't negate the wickedness that they did, does he? No, he says it right out. You sold me here. But, but what does he say? God sent me before you to preserve life. The famine's been in the land these two years. There are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. What a perspective. There's no recrimination here. He says the truth. You sold me. But he says above, beyond, through all that, he says God was at work. And notice he's free to say God sent me here. I've suffered so you can be saved. I've suffered so you and your children and your grandchildren can be saved. What gives Joseph the ability to simply forgive and forget and say God was in this all along and I'm here for you? Man, <laughs> he knew what God was up to, didn't he? He knew the sovereign plans of God had pierced his life and that his suffering was intentionally there because it was about someone else's redemption. That God had a purpose and a plan in his life and it wasn't just to put Joseph down, it was to save others. And it wasn't just to elevate and praise and honor Joseph, it was ultimately to, to save others. And by the way, does that story sound familiar so Joseph says, you sold me as a slave. He's been lied about. He's been put down. He's been treated as a criminal. And he turns around and says, and God meant this all the time so that you would be saved. Because that's straight out of Acts 4. That's exactly what the early church said. Jews and Gentiles crucified Jesus according to the predetermined plan and will of God to save many. Joseph's absolutely point by point 
meant to show us Christ. And in his own life, what he demonstrates time after time after time is the same thing you see in the life of Jesus. It's faithfulness. So if the life of Jesus is alive and well in you and me, you'll find the ability to be faithful when times are good and when they're bad. You'll find the ability to be faithful when forgiveness is called for and you otherwise wouldn't have any interest in forgiveness. That's exactly what you see in the life of Joseph. Think of it too. Um, He got it because he says this is for you. The treacherous brothers aren't just the brothers who've done him wrong. They are also sons of the same father. Guys in the church, we need to hear this. When a Christian sins against you, it's a son of your common father. Do you have the liberty to say, I might not forgive them? You don't. I mean, you don't for other reasons anyway. Those are children of your father. When you forgive them, you're honoring your father. Joseph forgave his father's son. God's at work in their lives too. They are part of God's sovereign plans, right? Guys, their names are on the new Jerusalem. The guys that sold Joseph. Their names are ensconced forever on the eternal city that you and I will live in. Because God said of them, liars, betrayers, murderers at heart, adulterers, you name it, uh, I'm going to use these guys for my plans and my purposes. They're going to start tribes. I'm going to fill the land of promise with their descendants. Joseph understood it was more than about him. He was faithful in that. I want to wind down with two... Oh, guys, sorry. You know what? I sent the wrong PowerPoint. You've got a better list than this on the back of your study sheet. So these are some of the points of continuity between Joseph and Jesus. And I just want to run over these quickly because they make the point you're meant to see Christ. Firstborn of his mother, uniquely loved by the father, hated by the brothers. The brothers are jealous. He foretold his future role. He was stripped of his clothing. He was thrown in a pit. Tomb, falsely accused, numbered with criminals, accurately told the future, provided the best counsel. He descended before he was honored. Think of Philippians 2 would be a key passage in all of this. He was exalted with a new name. Uh, in Pharaoh's household, he's given a new name and a wife and children. Uh, he started his mission at about 30 years old. People bowed to him. He was uh, not recognized by his brothers. His betrayal was all for the purpose of their salvation. That's the life of Joseph pointing us to the life of Christ. God help you and me be faithful when times are good. It's a good thing. I want to be faithful in the good times. God help us when the bottom falls out. And guys, at that time, don't try and be a better person. Don't try and buck up. Don't try and be a stoic. Just say, Lord, would you raise up the life of Christ in me adequate to meet this challenge? Would your spirit work in me such that the life of Christ is the aroma that people smell as I respond to the challenges I'm facing today. And God help us be faithful where in places we'd rather not be, with people we'd rather not be with, doing things we'd rather not do. Especially to to close. God help us be faithful to forgive others when they've really sinned against us. With that, would you rise? I want to read from the psalm that references Jesus and is quoted in Hebrews 10. 
and the worship team can come up and we'll close at that point. Read with me if you would. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog, set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Amen.